0: BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Uh, It's a very busy day for us here at Blue White Illustrated with so many things going on. So it's going to be a bit of an abridged mailbag today. Uh, And it's more abridged because uh, if you haven't noticed, things look a little bit different today on the BWI Daily. That's because we're using some new software. So... Mm -hmm. uh, we ask for your patience as we go through the first couple of weeks here with what we're using on the BWI Daily. Some things are going to change with the show if you watch on YouTube specifically. But if you watch on the podcast, absolutely doesn't matter to you. Everything will remain the same. But for me, the person who's in charge of how it all looks, uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm up to here. like The water is rising, Nate. Nate Bauer, it, senior editor, joining me as always.
1: To, to quote uh, the esteemed Bill O'Reilly, we'll do it live.
0: We are we'll doing do it, it live. live as as we record, as we record this in the morning on Thursday. So there's a bunch of stuff going on today. King Mac, he is a four star safety in the on three consensus. He is choosing his university of choice today at noon. At least that's what he said yesterday. This we're recording this before that. So that either has happened in favor of Penn State or not. Don't know yet. Uh, But later today and the real reason we're recording now is that lift for life is happening this afternoon at Penn State's campus after taking several years off for the pandemic. We are back. This is the prelude to training camp isn't it Nate like this is always like the last stop before we get to the season starts a hundred percent
1: and it's it's funny that you say that because it doesn't feel like summer has even started yet and yet (laughs) it's coming right i mean i think uh pretty obviously they'll start preseason camp in late july and yeah this is traditionally this has been an event that they have held over arts fest weekend which is uh i believe the third weekend in july um you know and obviously they've they've moved it up this year Um, you know, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good event. It should be, it should be great for some Penn state fans to be able to get back in and see these guys in action. Uh, the newcomers to the program there, there are plentiful, right? I mean, we're talking about 27, 28 guys, uh, who have come in, um, with another, I believe. Right. So like there were 10 that were on campus and participating in the blue white game, but there's been another 18, 17, 18 since then who have arrived to campus. So it'll be good to see those guys, see what they look like, see how they're they're working out, see, right? I mean, there's always one or two nuggets that you can pick up at an event like yeah. this. And, and not to draw t- too big of a point to it, but for Penn State fans who have not been back on campus or in this general vicinity of campus, right? Where Penn State's practice fields are, where the Lash Building is, it's going to yeah. look massively different. I mean, like that that's a, a selling point right there is being able to see in person the the massive construction project, the $60 million, $50 million construction project that they've done to expand the Lash weight room and improve that facility. So um, it'll it'll be pretty far along by the time that people actually see this uh, this afternoon.
0: Yeah, and it's also for a great cause. If I can get on a bit of a soapbox here. Yep. Uh, so it's for rare disease research um these are these are diseases that don't have cures or that are very difficult to diagnose and treat and uh, i'll probably say this uh, later again today if we do another video from uh from lift for life but this is something that affects so many people despite the fact that they're rare diseases that they affect a smaller amount of people than some of the more standard ones that you come across um my mom passed away from a rare disease so knowing how that feels knowing that environment of hopelessness this is hope for those people raising money and research for rare diseases that is something that uh is a is a noble cause and if you want to go support it go check it out um because you never know (laughs) you never know where you're gonna find yourself And, and i if you'd asked me a decade ago would i be giving this speech obviously i wouldn't have thought so but uh live for life a very important event not just for uh, the curiosity, not just for the calendar, not just for tradition, but also for the outcome of it. So check out Live for Life um, and donate if you can. It's an awesome cause. Um, yeah. Anything else before we get in the mailbox, uh, mailbox? Yeah, just
1: I mean I, I think just um, you know so people know they're recommending. I believe it is ten dollars for adults and five dollars for children uh, who come to to attend the event. So. You know that that money going toward that cause and obviously they have an online fundraiser all of these different position groups are trying to raise money um you know it's all it's all for that great cause as you said nobody ever wants to join
0: me in the media lift for life idea that we have our own separate circuit no no I, no one's interested in it
1: i like the punt catching contest that's more my <laughs> speed I, you know i'd be fun i'd be down <laughs> Maybe, maybe a pump, okay. pump, pass and kick.
0: Oh, oh, okay. oh, come on. Now we have to get into actual athletic things of, I, I can't throw a football to save my life, dude. I am. I grew up, my older brother chucked the football at me from 40 yards away. Cause he's like five years older than me. So I yeah. just had to run. Like my job was to run and catch his passes. I didn't get to be quarterback growing up. So like, I am a terrible quarterback.
1: Gotcha. gotcha. Are you, are you an only child? I am not. I have an older sister.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Did she make you? Did she make you run for the ball, or did you have to? Was there more equity there?
1: Um, You know, there was a lot of tennis. It's a lot of tennis growing up. Um, I, I, you know, listen. I'll acknowledge it. Uh, There were some field hockey matches in the backyard, right? Like she played field hockey, and I am intensely competitive, so someone had to win, and it was going to be me.
0: awesome well we need to get into the mailbag because uh we we've got a bunch of stuff to get to today so let's get into it of course the best way if you want to get into the mailbag is to is to go to bluewhiteillustrated.com and you got to leave your question on the bwi mailbag thread uh and then uh, i'll be able to get to that and i'll be able to uh find it and get it up here on the show i am so distracted today this is so much fun uh like Inside baseball, like if you're on camera, you should be looking at the camera. I'm not gonna look at the camera at all today. Like that's just how this is gonna go. So, our first question today uh, comes from Stephen Lisko on Twitter. He says, "With the QB room as it sits, do you think Penn State is in a situation that if Clifford goes down, they can get past average to good opponents?" <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna act this one out. <laughs> Illinois, uh, this upcoming season. Uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Stephen. So, uh, what do you think? What do you think, Nate?
1: Yeah, so I actually – I wrote a story about Christian Uh, uh Let's keep pronouncing that the, the way he prefers. Um, I wrote a story about him this week, and I think that if you do some between-the-lines reading, right? Uh, I, I, I had an interview with Mike Yursich earlier this summer, a couple of weeks ago, and the thing that Mike Yursich said that he wanted from uh, – you know cv was consistency in preparation okay and let's flesh that out a little bit what does that mean it means that and and the caveat to it was it's the hardest thing to do in football right particularly at quarterback where so many reps in practice go to the starter so as a backup as the two or in his case the number three preparing as though you're the starter is very challenging to do, right? Like you, you physically don't get the opportunity, but two, it, just mentally being in it and taking mental reps and and all of those things that are asked of you, it's, it's actually much more difficult to prepare as a backup at that specific position than it is for the starter. Um, so really I, I think that, uh, in in what he was saying, it kind of illuminates a little bit what happened last year, right? Which was, Sean Clifford was the quarterback in that Illinois game, hurt. And everyone yeah. knew he was hurt because Taquan Roberson tanked and had a terrible afternoon at Iowa. Yep. But also, Vager wasn't ready. He, he yep. just wasn't. He, he wasn't in a spot where Penn State felt as though it could trust him uh, and be confident in him, and that he could be confident in him, in himself in that situation. So to the question, this year has that changed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, it's just it's just a massive difference having a year under your belt in the system, in practices, uh, being able to go through this summer and feel like you can be prepared. And so Vayer managed that Rutgers game. he has that in-game experience it is not just flying blindly after Sean Clifford. Um, and I think that that's going to be an important point for Penn State to 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 be able to, as a coaching staff, to be able to feel, and for Sean Clifford, to be able to feel as though there's someone behind him who will push and who yes. is in a position that can play.
0: And also, you know, to, to spin it forward to the starting quarterback, I, you know, we've talked about this hundred times this offseason is how much does year two mean and and Sean Clifford has been getting all of those reps yep. Sean Clifford has been getting all of that attention as the starter the question is what does that ultimately produce that is really the question with Clifford but with you or value excuse me you're right like that level of comfort I think that there is um a reasonable expectation that your backup quarterback can 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 help you this year as opposed to a true freshman who didn't have a senior season coming into a new offense. Now there's a lot more stability. But that is the caveat to I would be shocked if either of the true freshmen can give you something this year. So really, it, there's two. There's
1: yeah, it's two one quarterbacks yeah. this year. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, if I could just say one thing that irks me a, a little bit is I, I think that Penn State fans need to break out of the notion that just about anybody in the Big Ten is a walkover for this Penn State football program. Like, I get it. Illinois did not go into the 2021 season with much hype, but Brett Bielema is a good coach. <laughs> like, he, he he has established that over the years. Um, that That just, it wasn't an awful team. Um, and so I, I guess I, I get where fans are coming from, but like this this notion that Illinois was in some way severely overmatched in that game with Penn State in the position that it was at the time, um, I, I just you know I think it's time to to accept that that's not exactly where Penn State football is right now.
0: I I've said this to some of our, some of these members of the Lions' and message board that we'll get to in a little bit, but like, you need to let Illinois go. You just yep. need to let that game go. Sometimes you have outliers. Uh, didn't bill O'Brien. And I know this is a very different time, but also bill O'Brien lost Illinois on the road. Right. That did happen. I don't, or was it just an incre- incredibly close game?
1: Yeah. I'm, you know, like 2012 and 13 were such weird years. Um, yeah. So I yeah I, I don't know I, like I am I, defeating
0: my own argument here like no, I'm just I, gonna I'm gonna redact that because it is a very different situation yeah. during when you don't have scholarship players versus when you have one scholarship quarterback that got hurt or like just, one realistic starter that got hurt.
1: I, I am not at all suggesting that Penn State is not in a tier above right higher than some of the rest of the Big Ten. Absolutely. Okay. But Kirk Ferentz and Iowa after being number three in the country lost the next week, right? Like uh, Penn state is not so close to Ohio state. It's, it's not closer to Ohio state than it is close to Iowa or close to, um, you know, any number of teams in the middle of the pack of the conference. And so those things can happen. They just, it's just not guaranteed wins for Penn State football right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, quickly, because I want to get on to Ben Bainey's question here. How far off are they from distancing themselves where they are in that 2A category instead of the rest of the pack? Because I think you're right. And, and that is a middle ground that I think changes year to year in the Big Ten of who's 2A or 2B.
1: Yeah, well, look, like, I, I think that it is very clear that they're in, in terms of actual record, because I broke down these numbers. Ohio State is far and away the best team in the, in the conference. It's not close, yeah. right? Like Penn State and Michigan are the two teams over the last six seasons to get wins out of the Big Ten East against Ohio State. That's it. Twice. So that that tells you something. Penn State, Michigan State. Wisconsin. And then I think that Michigan is still ahead of Penn State slightly, but I would lump those four together, right? And then kind of everybody else. So Ohio State, those four, and then right like the rest of the pack. And then obviously you have a couple of cellar dwellers, um, you know, there at the bottom, but for the most part there aren't these complete walkovers in the Big 10 who are just uncompetitive, who can't possibly win they can win and it and it happens particularly when situations aren't ideal but anyway moving on um
0: and I would say watch out for Maryland this year because I know that uh Talia Tungvaloa had a, a rough season last year from a statistical standpoint but from an evaluation standpoint he wasn't far off from being elite his ability to push the ball down the field throw with anticipation he's just a hair off on a lot of those deep passes so if they get him some support that's always the question. Do you get the quarterback support? And and I haven't seen a lot from Maryland that's been great, but I also don't cover Maryland football. Okay, so Ben Bainey asks, from what you've seen and been told, how has the strength and conditioning program changed, if at all, from Dwight Galt to Chuck Losey? Uh, Also, also, from what you gather, have the Lions stayed healthy this summer? Has there been anyone particularly impressive in their strength and speed development? I think we'll find out a little bit about that second question today, this afternoon. Uh, But uh, the first question, Nate, do you have any insight into that? Any of the differences?
1: Well, when Chuck, like you're talking about a guy who worked with Dwight Galt for 11 years before Mm -hmm. this promotion. And so I think... From a technical standpoint, and look, like I'm not in any way equipped to talk about this on the granular level, but I I think for the most part, they're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff in terms of actual, uh, lifts that they want to do. And right. Like what are the things that they're emphasizing and focusing on, um, in the weight room and, and on the conditioning side, I think that's pretty much similar or, um, the same. Yeah. However, the difference, the massive difference, is Galt was in his 60s, right? Yeah. Chuck Losey yep. is in his 30s, early 40s, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he's he's a pretty young guy. And so... Uh,
0: that was going to be what I was going to say as well, of, like, the, the personality is probably different. Is that what you're driving out of? The personality of the guy in charge?
1: Very much so. Very yeah. much so. Like, it's just, it's just, uh, this is the circle of life, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, and you're dealing... In particular with young kids who are from a just like think about the differences there. And I'm not saying that Dwight Galt didn't have good relationships with Penn State players. I think that he did have outstanding yeah. relationships with them. But in terms of the connection that you experience between a trainee and a trainer, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that those things help and that yeah. those things are different. And um, you know, probably something that uh Penn State players are enjoying right now
0: yeah and I I think the intensity if I was going to describe Chuck Losey in one way like not I wouldn't say like an intimidating guy in in the sense of like trying to instill fear but he is an intense dude you can tell he's a focused detail oriented demanding individual so you know lifts might be harder runs might be harder uh conditioning might be more intense because like you just said, a guy who's younger, a guy who. And this always sounds like an either or, right? Nate? Right. Like it always sounds like, ah, oh, well, they weren't trying hard with Dwight Galton. That's like, that's not. Obviously, that's not the case. Yeah. But, you know, just a different flavor, different spin on uh, a very similar philosophy, obviously.
1: Yep. No, I think it's. I think that's a great way to put it is that you're not you're not losing with one versus there doesn't have to be one that's better than the other necessarily. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just different. And I think the, that injection of having some youth in the, in that specific position um, is good. That's a good thing for Penn state.
0: Uh, so our next question comes from our Lions Den message forum. This is from my master. Jay, I hate saying that out loud. Uh, Jason Moore, highly rated D lineman, but at 6'6", 255, do you think he's a little too tall as a defensive tackle from a leverage standpoint? And does he have the speed to play defensive end? Um, he's a he's a defensive tackle. Um, I need to do more digging on him. I've I've watched all of the available film, but I haven't watched the full film yet because he has been a. Penn State's interested. He might be there. It, it hasn't been close enough for me to go. Okay, I need to seriously look at at the film to get a better perspective on his his physical talents. But from what you see on the highlight film, I think he's a thick-bodied guy, and uh, there's a certain cutoff point for me. I don't want an interior player that's six seven. I I know that Calais Campbell exists who is 6'7", maybe almost 6'8", and played defensive tackle for most of his career and was an all-pro. That's one guy. It's one one dude, one unicorn. Uh, but 6'6", you can generally still have the pad level necessary to play on the interior as long as you are a freak. As long as you have elite bend and flexibility in your frame to get low and win the, lever, the leverage battle. And that's exactly what you want. You want to find that guy who has the extensive length, the extreme arm length with the pad level to be able to win engagements and overwhelm smaller blockers with shorter arms. That's why it's a pun intended here. And I'm going to I'm going to throw up a little in my mouth. It's an arms race for length on the for on the offensive and defensive line. Uh, (laughs) So I don't. Uh, without without knowing the specifics and without giving you a hard and fast answer, his profile and what I've seen, the answer is yes, but I do see what you're asking. And I think that's a very good question to ask is, does he have the pad level to back up that size? And that is going to be one of the first things I'm looking at when I check out his film in depth. Uh, and I am going to do that here once like July 1st hits because there's, there's a lot of stuff coming hard and fast and you need to be prepared for all of it. So... Um, hope that answers the question, even though my answer is I, I actually don't I don't know yet. We'll find I meant out. To- <laughs> I was going to watch the film this morning, and then I had to uh, basically learn an entire new software uh, to do the show today. So, you know, best laid no place. Yeah, no biggie. Uh, Penn yeah, State 2012. Was... You know, it's going pretty good, though, so far. Like, I think we're still doing all right. Penn State 2012 asks, uh, what do you think is the most important or valuable realistic recruit? that Penn State is going after in this cycle. Nate, do you have an outside opinion on this as somebody who follows recruiting but is not in the weeds with it? Uh, basketball? Sure. Why don't we go? You answer well, the basketball, I'm... I answer the football.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm no, kidding.
0: That, that's, a, that's actually a good idea. I want you to
1: do that now. Uh, so what, what was the question? Outside chance? Uh, no, realistic val- chance?
0: Realistic chance. The most valuable and important player with a realistic chance.
1: Uh, realistic chance. Um, I I know it's what Devin Royal is the long shot for basketball. Um, you know, he's, he's probably going to be tough. I think ultimately to get, but Kerry booth is, uh, the, the no brainer, realistic, but really good prospect in the class of 2023 that Penn state might be able to land. They have the family connection with Calvin booth, obviously is his dad. Um, and just he's an intriguing prospect, and he's really impressed a lot of people. Um, this summer, he's 6'10 and shoots threes, right? But can also defend the paint. So, like, that combination is something what that you need. It's, well, I'm, you know, look, it's just, it's super intriguing, right? I mean, it's, um, I don't know that he is as skilled as, um, you know, obviously, Derek Lively ended up being the, the best prospect in the country last yeah. year. Um, Penn state had a connection there. It didn't work out. Obviously he's a Duke. Um, But if it, I, I'm not saying that they're the exact same prospect, but I think they bring some of the same qualities to the table. And, but as opposed to lively, which ended up not being realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Booth booth is. Um, yeah. And I think that's a guy that they're going to continue. The ties to are a little get.
0: bit stronger there from a Penn state flavor, right? Like as much as lively was like, you know, from the area, there are deep ties to the basketball program specifically with his dad that make it seem like that is a more realistic chance than a guy who blew up and became a top prospect. Yeah.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's Uh, fair. So
0: from the football perspective, there's a couple um, and it depends on what you mean as far as um, the most valuable. So Jason Moore is in that conversation. Derek LeBlanc is in that conversation. But most important and valuable, it's, a, it's such a toss-up because if you miss on... Okay, Penn State's defensive line class is good right now. So if you miss on those elite defensive tackles, it's a miss, but you're not losing out of a position. Cam Seldon is a rare athlete. And Penn State needs, um, you know, rare athletes. But if there's one thing they need more than anything else right now, it's offensive tackles. So, getting and developing an elite offensive tackle, I think that it ha- by default has to go to Evan Link, because I, you know, the guys that are left at that position, Ryan, our coworker Ryan Snyder, is not optimistic about their chances with Samson Okunlola, a five-star from Thayer Academy in uh, Connecticut. So, the next best options that are realistic, that are close to your program, that seem like it's a serious thing, Evan Link is down to from all reports like Stanford and and Penn State, you know, or, you know, Michigan somewhere in there, but Stanford, Penn State. So getting Evan Link and not losing to Stanford in this situation is incredibly important because that recalibrates your offensive line class. Right now, if I'm building an offensive line class, Jevin Williams has to be a tackle. Um, If you're moving forward and you have Evan Link, maybe he's playing right tackle, maybe he's on the interior with a TBD right tackle, however you want to play that. But you need to have that flexibility. The flexibility of the class before where you had three strong interior players and you could find the best match out on the perimeter, that was great. Without Josh Miller, now there's more of an emphasis of he has to be either a true guard or a true tackle. So getting more bodies is important at that position. I think that offensive line class, which is very good and you're not going to miss here, but missing out on another elite tackle would be rough. So I would go ultimately with Evan Link even though my heart says Cam Seldon because he is bananas athletic. I just don't know anything about him as a player because there's no film and he played like 5
1: games. So can I can I do can I do my um my Manny Diaz education? Sure. Corner, defensive end, left tackle, quarterback. Quarterback's not necessary. So any of those three positions.
0: Do you say quarterback?
1: So his argument was the, the players getting drafted, right? Yeah. The highest. And the, and the players that are the most valuable are the ones who either have the ball in their hands or yeah. play the closest impact to the person with the ball in their hands. And yeah. so he was saying cornerback, corner on defense, end, yeah. right? Getting yep. to the quarterback and affecting that. Yep. The quarterback himself, right? Yep. And left tackle.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the hierarchy of, of needs. That is the hierarchy of needs for football teams. Um, As well. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's, that's important, I guess, for this particular team. If you're talking about the Penn State team going forward, they have had some success at corner, right? So you have a reasonable level of expectation that they're going to be good at that position. Yeah. Defensive end, they've loaded up on defensive ends. So... What are the program changing positions you can get better at? And interior pressure is still valuable, you know? Like the yep. way I put it with Zane Durant is if you the way the off the the offensive works is you've got five blockers on the offensive line. This is just basic football, right? Five blockers on the offensive line. and for Penn State, you've got four pass rushers on the defensive line, which means somebody's going to get double teamed. So if you've and this is really where you need a multitude of pass rushers is, You've got two threats on the outside. One of them gets double teamed, and then an interior player gets double teamed. That leaves a one-on-one for two other players. You know, if you start pulling in extra blockers, you're keeping in tight ends, you're keeping in running backs, you're making it easier on the defense. They can deploy more resources in different ways. They can take away more stuff. So having a legitimate one, two, three, that's where you get an elite pass rush. And a three technique is a huge part of that because by alignment – he's on the side where you can get one-on-ones more often between the, the uh, defensive end and the defensive tackle on that side. So it's a very basic thing because the offense, the offense can do whatever they want. But that's why from a run-stuffing perspective, the other thing he said is you got to stop the run, right? Like the first thing is to stop the run, yep. and and big strong guys up the middle do help. It's not to the level that I think fans obsess over, Or that are focused on because there are other ways to stop the run with numbers, with stunts and blitzes and things like that. But having a guy that can do it on his own is the way to unlock a lot of fun stuff for the defense. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of the theory behind, in college at least, a dominant player at any position where the talent gap can be so big, you can then make a difference. But as far as the hierarchy of things that defensive coordinators should focus on, absolutely corner edge and then you know for your team building on for the totality quarterback is number one and and left tackle you know is two through three however you want to however you want to do that Um, old frog asks given recent information about Nick Singleton's elite speed is there now an onus on the OC to come up with some innovative ways to get him the ball in space I would think that there have to be some ways to exploit a weapon like him for example do they throw him a ball in the flat by the way, ask a lot of mailbag questions. Thanks for asking, answering my questions on past shows. Uh, that's very kind of you to say. We love regulars, so thanks for having such good questions. Nate, do you want to take this one? Seeing as I just had my uh, monologue there at the end about about uh,
1: important players. Yeah, I mean, I yes, right? Like uh, there's there's it, it it is simply about what can Nick Singleton handle. What is he right? Because you're you've just you're balancing these two things, right? Um and I think that this has been said. I think Jaywan Sider said this. I think maybe James Franklin said this. Katron Allen came from a college offense in high school. Yes, he did. IMG is running a college offense. Yep. Nick Singleton, um Governor Mifflin shout out, is mm-hmm. not, right? Yep. <laughs> and so um the, the the development from that standpoint of just just knowing the game knowing all of yeah. it um I, I think it's a fair statement to say that nick singleton is or was not at least in the spring up to that level of development that K-tron
0: professionalism Owens. at the position I, I i mean img is is churning out semi pros they're Correct. they're very good at teaching these players. So let Correct. me give you an example of something that Nick Singleton is going to need to learn or has been learning. I'd say 60% of his runs, maybe maybe I'm being conservative here, 60% of his runs are pitch plays in the government Governor Mifflin offense. How many pitch plays do you see in, in college? Yep. How many times are they pulling in front, getting out in space, old school, triple option offense? That is a useful skill once every three games yep but you know you've got to be able to to read and to be able to uh address linebackers make them wrong in the hole and and read and react and all of those skills i'm not saying he doesn't have any of them but that is one thing that katron allen when you watch him you go oh this looks right because he's reading the he's he's reading front to back on the run scheme he's hitting frontside holes he's a receiver that's another thing i mean nick singleton Uh, Ryan and I were talking about this one time. He's like, well, Nick Singleton catches all of those pitches, so that he has good enough hands uh, for now, but, you know, how does it... The most valuable valuable receptions are ones that are downfield. So getting Nick Singleton the ball downfield, even if it's over the middle of the field and it's like five to six yards, is better than swing passes in the flat. A defense has won if they've given you... If you are taking that particular play, because... They can rally and tackle. Most defenses are built on containing and limiting. So force them to be wrong and get downfield. That's where the rest of the offense has to be a threat so that Nick Singleton, when you sneak him out two or three times a game, like Saquon Barkley on a wheel route or an angle route, then he's doing real damage because you you have to guard downfield. You can't shrink the entire operating area for the offense.
1: And if, and if he's... Getting the ball at that part of the field and there's no safety help. That's it. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind yep. of the point with him yep. is if you don't you if a defense you don't want him getting to the third level because that's the yeah. the game is over. He's Can that fast. You, yeah. And he's that Can I
0: give you a specific example? Because I think Barkley is a good example of how Joe Moorhead did this right. So traditionally. I'm going to give you the—it the, the it was a play against Pitt where Saquon Barkley caught a— I think it was a touchdown or it was like a 40-yard pass over the middle. So Pitt was running a cover two where you've got two deep safeties that are guarding, uh you know, the deep part of the field. The weak point traditionally in cover two is down the middle, right down the middle. And what defenses do is they drop their middle linebacker to an extra depth. He gets a little extra depth. This is something that I thought Els Brooks was really good at last year was preventative defense of getting there, making sure he was in his spot and he was reading his place. So normally what you do is you run a receiver into that area or a tight end running uh, you know, a skinny post over the middle. That's a way you attack cover too. Saquon Barkley just blew by a linebacker and went up the middle, and it was over because there was, I think there was like a, a read option or a play action on it. So the the running back immediately, or the, the linebacker immediately stepped up, and Barkley went, ran right behind him. So those are what I'm talking about when we're talking about valuable passes, where you're getting him into space where he can attack and he's not having to juke out a linebacker in a corner in the flat. Get him in one on one. Create these situations where he's his speed is dictating. It's a loss for the defense. Uh, yeah. We got Uki <laughs> seventy two. Another one that just as ooh that I'm sure it's fun to say for some people, but I just anyway uh, Brooks and Brisker. That was so awkward. I apologize. Uh, Ellis Brooks, Jaquan Brisker, two of the best tacklers last year. With a loss of those players and the addition of Sutherland at Sam, who is once again being thrown under the bus and driven over, why should we have be overly concerned? Why would we not be overly concerned with the defense's ability to stop the run? What prevents a team like Auburn from running for 200 plus yards? Goes back to what we talked about with defensive tackles. Your defense does start up front. Don't get reached. Like, you know, Auburn last year, I, I'm struggling to remember specifically, I believe they're primarily a zone team. Don't let them reach you. Hold up at your point. Hold your gap if you're the defensive line. Hold your gap. Don't You don't have to be a superstar. Hold your gap. And then in this particular defense, it's all about playing on the other line the side of the line of scrimmage. Attacking, downhill, beat your blocker, and, and rally in the backfield. So... Last year the, prop, the the solution was stuffing the box with Jaquan Brisker. But that's not ideal for overall holistic defense. You want to have the flexibility to play four guys deep if you want to. And they did not at the end of last season. So, PJ Mustafer, whatever he can bring you, that's important, but those young defensive tackles stepping up and the defensive ends playing, you know, more consistently, I think in run defense is the start of it, but it is really about the front 7. Not necessarily about, you know, two specific players.
1: Is is the suggestion here that Penn State will not be a good tackling defense? That the that the safeties and the linebackers won't be sure yeah. tackling or won't rally to the football? Is that?
0: Yeah, or that nobody's improved, so everything's the same. Nobody's improved. That's the other. That's the other insinuation here is that you lost two good players. And everyone else is either worse or the same. and and I understand the point here is that also uh you're replacing that player with Tyler Elsden or Kobe King as young players that are unproven, and Tig Brown, who played free safety last year and did struggle in run defense., Can, but players do improve. That's the whole that is the magic formula
1: here. is and look, like I, I know we just it it remains something that we talk about, but like it, is the question about Illinois, right? Like 300 yards is the question about yes. Illinois, because here's the argument that I would make and you know, I-, I haven't heard anyone actually say this out loud, but I would bet good money that Penn state as a coaching staff would prefer that Illinois game in terms of the effect of an opponent's running game against that of Ohio state, Right. 1 Trayvon Henderson 67 yard run ended that game at, against Ohio State. If if Auburn wants to run for 250 yards but cannot pass, Penn State will trade that. Penn, yeah. Like they'll take that. And yeah. particularly if Auburn's carries are not going for 15 yards a pop and if they're yeah. not, right? Like if if there yeah. are if you're going to give up 3 yards a carry all all day and a team is just going to drip 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 you to death. Yep. Uh but you you're only giving up 10 points? Y- you will take that yep. almost uniformly. Anytime but that Illinois tried is... to pass
0: the ball, it was a turnover. Like Correct. almost exactly like there was a turnover every time they had to drop back. So I yes, I, agreed there. Um and so and this is again, it, it is a we're going to get to one of these a little bit later, too, of like a very specifically negative outlook. Like you like any question is an opinion, but, uh, this is very much steeped in, um, nothing will go well, uh, because we saw it bad once, nothing will, go- there's, there's, there's very little hope for improvement, or you're asking me to make it better for you, and here's the thing about Jonathan Sutherland, I, we need to lay off, it's, it's becoming cruel, like, Give the kid a chance to prove himself before you assume it's completely over. We'll find out like you may be right, but the immediate assumption here, like it, it, this is, you know, like I said, back in the bus over him several times. Isn't,
1: isn't part of the strength of Penn state's defense also that they have that third level. That's not going to give up that play. Like you can, he can make a mistake. (laughs) That that can, like, it's going to happen. You're going to have defensive line and linebacker mistakes this year. That, that is a guarantee. It's just a, it's just a matter of how frequently does that happen? How many times is Penn state's defense giving up the backbreaker? Yep. That's it to me. Like that's, that's the question of the season, because if it's happening three or four times a game and it means 21 points on those three or four times then yeah they're going to be they're going to be in trouble right? right uh but if it's not if if they have that security blanket that that parachute so to speak yeah. you, they're going to be fine they're they're going to be okay
0: so here's another here's another part of this that going specifically talking about the Illinois game by bringing out a sixth offensive lineman and running 19 people on the offensive line what that forced is everyone has a gap so here's football. I've got a gap. My job is to be in it. That guy's job is to get me out of it or to push me so far out of the play that I've, we've created essentially a new gap or expanded the one behind us. So by, by reducing the front, they forced secondary players to come up and play their gap for real. So safeties and corners, they have a responsibility in run defense. That particular game plan accentuated that, prob, that, that reality. But the point is the defensive tackles without P.J. Mustafer in the first game without them struggled. So they were able to get to the outside because no one forced the ball to go anywhere but where it was intended. That is not likely to happen this year because they have depth at that position. So, you know, we're talking about a specific game plan and blowing it up to a, a, a season-long narrative when it Wasn't like even in that game against Ohio State, they played the run really well, except for one play. And again, I would I would also say that part of that is because the offense couldn't generate enough points throughout the game that they could still run the ball and have balance and late into the game. Anyway, we need to move on. Uh, What recruits? This is from Zach. What recruits will see a big bump in their rankings coming this fall? Will any guys move up to the coveted five star status? So the guys that have the opportunity to do that would be Javen Williams and Alex Birchmeyer. They're both either five stars already or they're right on the verge of that. And then from On3's perspective, the individual internal rankings are different than the consensus rankings. So for a guy to be a consensus five-star player, they have to be a five-star in every major recruiting category. So there's kind of two layers to that question. Uh, but those guys are the ones I'd look at. A guy that I think is going to have a ratings bump this year um, I'll give you two guys. Anthony Donko, who I, I just wrote about this yesterday, working with Phil Troutwine at these mini camps that, that, that prospects are coming to, and then working at some of the individual skill camps that you you go to that are kind of more national things. I've seen an improvement in him this, this summer. It was something he came into this year focusing on. He told me that at the Under Armour camp. Uh, he is light years better than he was in March. So if that translates to the fall, he's 6'4", 310 pounds, and he's a unit. He is stacked. He is a really good athlete. So that's the area he needs to improve, and he's improving there. Again, we'll see how that translates to the fall. The other guy I think is Marcus Stokes. He's at the Elite 11 Finals right now. He's caught the eye of a couple of evaluators for some of his uh, specific skills. There might be a limit on how high he can go because of his arm strength and especially what Charles Powers told me about the way he ranks players is it is very much about measurables because that's the way it is in the NFL draft. If your arm is not strong enough and you're not big enough, you won't be a five-star because are you going to be a first overall pick? Or are you going to be a first-round pick? If you don't have all the tools and all the other stuff, probably not. But I could see him taking a significant step forward to just, you know, a high four-star or a mid-four-star as opposed to where he is now. So those
1: are two guys that I have in mind. You know, okay. Birchmeyer was, right, like, in terms of the five-star, that's the one that seems to be trending yeah. that direction.
0: Yes. Yeah, and he's, again, he's all of it. Um, so, because he's a great athlete, he's a great technician, he's a guy that deserves to be a five-star. Uh, and then I'll just throw in one other guy. Um, well, no, I, I, I'm I not going to do that because, you know, I really like Mega Barnwell. I, I just love his potential. But for him to be the guy that I'm thinking he's going to be, he needs to be 265 this, this fall. And he is currently, from what we've seen, is not on pace to do that. He has kind of maintained his his size. So I just think that he can massively outplay his potential in the future, but I don't know if the rankings will ever reflect that in, in high school. Saikim asks, Manny Diaz has implemented changes to the defensive scheme, which impact positional shifts. We've talked about that a lot. Here's the one that you and I have talked about a little bit, but I want you to go in-depth on what you think of this. Do you think that Coach James Franklin has brought them in, uh, has bought in enough that if Diaz were to get a head coaching offer, um, that Coach Franklin would keep those changes post-Diaz? And uh, Saikim throws in the note here, if if Manny Diaz is getting offers, it means Penn State's defense was really good this past season, and that They were quality changes. So do you think that this is a forever shift for Penn State, or is
1: this a temporary, we're playing this way for now sort of shift? Uh, Elaborate on that for me, just briefly. Sam
0: Linebacker versus the striker is kind of two sides of the same coin, where it's, again, we're talking about poor Jonathan Sutherland in this particular conversation, versus having um, um, Jamari Button there, who was the next guy in line before Manny Diaz, and now he's shifted over to the will.
1: But I think isn't – Manny's already talking about the fact that a lot of this isn't settled, right? Like that that he has – just based on the numbers, he has decisions to make in preseason camp as to how they want to go, right? Do do you want three safeties on the field with two linebackers? Do you want uh, an extra – nickel right like uh, I just it it feels to me as though um, yeah there are nuances that he um, you know are maybe different about what he's doing from Brent Pry. but for the most part like to to me what I see is Penn State is committed to a 4-3 defense or excuse me four down linemen right like four up front after that it is largely um you know a a aggressive pass defense first is that yeah is that a is that a fair way to put it yeah emphasis
0: on coverage players over run defense
1: and so i just i you know i think that that's going to carry over i mean I i think that there's more aligned between pry and diaz than there is not is that yeah is that fair Yes.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. Again, it goes back to one of the other conversations, the conversation about Chuck Losey and about um, about uh, uh, Dwight Galt is that what's your personality? Manny Diaz is aggressive. Brent Pry was more in the middle. You know, he would get aggressive when he wanted to, but overall, over the long arc of his career at Penn State, it was a more conservative approach, with soft zones, letting you dink and dunk, and letting you make a mistake getting a fourth down and a field goal. It yep. led to a lot of time of possession for other teams. But it also limited points. So, like, is this team going to get more hands on on the football? Are they going to be more aggressive? Are they going to give up more points? We've talked about these kind of differences, but yes. I think, ultimately, they are very similar, but the I would say, if you were unsure of how you wanted to play this and you had Sutherland at the, at the Sam linebacker, the striker position, I would, I would have kept Budden over there as well. You know, I wouldn't have moved two safeties there. I wouldn't have played that way in the spring game. Um, does that, I, and the way that Jamari talked about it when we talked to him is he said, I'm playing Will linebacker. So the only options right now are safety bodies. So it seems, I guess, from what I've seen and what I've understood from the decisions they've made without being in the room, yeah, maybe there's an opportunity for them to play a Sam linebacker again. Maybe they'll make that decision. None of, the, you, none of these things are absolutes, but at the same time, you practice a certain way. You need to. Yeah. You, you don't have all the time in the world to go, you know what, we're going to step back and we're going to change these things and it's going to be better. Like you, you do spend a lot of time on what you is your first plan, but as you pointed out, the second part is that position is temper is is a two down position anyway. Like DaQuan Hardy's coming on the football field; he's too good to keep off the football field. So, what's the impact of that? And do you split that three ways between another player and Jonathan Sutherland? Or is here's another here's another reality? Let me lean in. Sutherland might also be okay. Like, there is an option that that's a reality, too. And I know that's not what Sycam is asking, but that is the number one thing this year is the sky is falling because Jonathan Sutherland's playing in underneath coverage. Uh, We got a couple more here. We got three more. And I know somebody's got a dental appointment, so we got to go through these quickly. Uh, Poncho570 asks, Hey, it could be me. It's a (laughs) 50-50 choice. Who would uh, you like to see uh, punt and kickoff return man positions with a crowded backfield? Is there a chance that Kaziah Holmes can find his niche? So, Poncho570 doing the great media thing of asking two questions in one. Well done, my friend. Uh, Nate, our special teams expert. Yep. You handle the first one.
1: All right. Um, Kickoff return. Um, Devin Ford. Yeah. Not talked about enough. But I'll just be honest, like, not talked about enough. He is still in the program for a reason. There are, right? He, because he wouldn't be. Let's just be blunt. If Penn State yeah. did not feel as though there was a use for Devin Ford, he would no longer be in the program. He is, and that is something that he did last year uh, and will likely continue to do, in In my opinion. Uh, punt return, I, I think that... Parker Washington against Arkansas was not a, an aberration. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity and a possibility that that carries over. Look, they, they got options. They they really yes. do. I mean, you have. I think that a big part of what Stacy Collins is going to have to do this preseason is is whittle it down, right? Yeah. Because if, if you've yeah. got like everyone wants to do it right like there, there are very all of these guys are competitors that anyone who can catch a football uh for the most part it's interesting i actually talked to him about this whether or not anyone just says eh i you know i don't know that that's for me and basically what he said was and i'm paraphrasing that everyone wants to do kickoff return punt yeah. return is a different animal punt yeah. return is you're back there and you have 4 seconds to make a decision with yep. eleven players running at you from forty yards away yep. versus eleven players running at you from sixty yards away, yeah. right? Like yeah. that and is you're just lo- a...
0: you're looking up the whole time either way.
1: Yeah, there's just yeah. there's just a lot to process. There's a lot to do. Um, I I even think the judgment of just literally catching the ball is yeah. different for punt than it is and and more arguably more, more difficult.
0: Yeah, and I would say it's more important too of making the decision of to catch the punt to let it roll to call fair catch to try and return it and that's why a a, a mature guy like parker washington who you trust implicitly i think that's a a great place to start but from the let me throw out a couple other names that might be fun trey wallace i think could be fun uh as a dude who's super athletic punt return yes okay yeah Uh, And that's not knowing his full skill set too. like seeing him move. Is he elusive in short areas? Does he have that tackle breaking ability? I'd like to find out. I'd like to know that, but I know he is uh, strong for his size and I know that he is fast. So those things are are pretty good indications. And then Marquise Wilson, finding a role for him on the team as a punt returner. I think that would be a good place for him as well. But then, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't make good decisions, but we just know less about him as a football player and kind of as a person in terms of the maturity at that position to not make mistakes. And that's just a you know, kind of an open question. But Nick Singleton at kick Singleton. return is, an, yeah, exactly. is another place <laughs> yeah. I yeah. would I would also consider putting him. Yep. Uh, so Beaverman72, and I want to say a, a special shout out to Beaverman, because he used to ask questions on Twitter, and now he's asking them as a part of the Lions Den message forum. So he's got. now a convert. He's a member of the team. Hey, man, I love that. And if you want to join him, it's $1 for 12 months of access so that you get your question on the show and you get all the inside information from the people who know the things like, you know, Ryan, when it comes to recruiting. I'm just giving you my opinion on the things he's said. That's really how this works is I'm giving my analysis on what he's reported and all is reporting bluewhiteillustrated.com for 1 month or uh, for 12 months you get $1. You know what I'm saying? I said that backwards. 12 months of access for $1. We also do some other good stuff. Like Nate and I do some great stuff too, but right now in a thicker recruiting, Ryan is the superstar. So, Beaverman asks to me, Jesse Lucetta was the biggest surprise last year. Didn't expect him to adapt to the defensive end as well as he did. Came off a rough year in 2020. Who is this year's Jesse Lucchetta that struggled last year but could surprise? He says his pick is Brenton Strange. So, oh. Nate, uh, got only we got one question left, and I want to get to all of them. But uh, what do you think here? Hmm. Got,
1: did, had, to, had to struggle? Is that?
0: Somebody who that... did not or underperformed or didn't perform well yeah that takes a step forward in twenty twenty one
1: I mean, I think I think all of those tight ends, honestly, are ripe yeah. for that opportunity. It's not just Brenton, it's theo um and obviously Tyler Warren. Uh, after that, um yeah, I, I, look like and and maybe this is my perception of what I think fans say, mm-hmm. but i I think. Joey Porter got picked on publicly last year and was way closer to being really good than he was to being even mediocre or bad. Right. (laughs) Like he, he's going to be really good. And so I, I I just, I I think that like, yeah, maybe a, a couple of the holding or pass interference calls that, that really stick in people's minds about, him from last season yeah. overshadowed the fact that he already had a, I, I, I mean, I think you would agree a, a very good year and yes. is probably going to have an excellent year this season. This
0: also comes into something that makes me a little uncomfortable talking about Joey Porter Jr. is people don't like his personality. They don't like the confidence no. and the swagger he plays with because in certain situations as a corner, you give up plays and it's like, no one, First off, nobody's perfect. and And secondly, um, You need to have that confidence to play that position that way. Uh, I think the Ohio State game is one that people get very mad about, but for three quarters of that game, he was shutting down the best receivers in the country that were top 15 picks. He was going toe-to-toe with those guys, and he was playing at that level. So if you think he didn't earn that confidence, you're wrong. (laughs) But in certain situations... He was called for holding in some, you know, I think you can say it could have gone either way situations. And then he's trying to play hard and he hits a guy going out of bounds, gets a personal foul call. So there are some, like the offensive line, when you make a mistake as a corner, everybody sees it. So that is the unfortunate part. But unlike the offensive line, you can make plays to redeem yourself. And the first half of the season, he's making a lot of plays. He's making a lot of silent plays, shutting people down, Doing his part of the defense, and then over the end of the season, when things were not going well anyway, you got there. The only problem I have with Brenton Strange, and I think that this is a that's a that's a great guy to bring up in terms of that. But if you if you're saying the Jesse Lucetta situation, of didn't play well previously and then changed position, changed the environment, and the environment unlocked his ability, I don't know. There's another. I can't think of a guy that there is like that this year. Um, who did especially who didn't play well. So I think Curtis Jacobs is going to have a big year, but he played well. So yeah. he's just moving positions. I thought Tig Brown obviously had a good year last year. He could play very well in this situation as uh, the, the field safety or as the boundary safety. But, I, you know, we're saying change situation and then took a step forward. I don't know that I see that guy in particular, but I think that the guys you've brought up are are very valid. I guess I would say Keaton Ellis is a guy who... I think was anonymous and is going to be a factor this year. And he's switching positions. So I I would throw that one in there. Um, I'm just going to comment on this one. PSU numbers asks very important question here. When will the team move to white cleats full time? Don't care about tradition. White cleats are a no brainer. Why does Mm. everything have to be so angry and negative and sad? Like, (laughs) Why do we have to do that? I, I understand that, like, you're uncomfortable with NIL. You're uncomfortable with the, the the modern part of college football. I get that. I understand that. But to then just swing the other way completely, I, I think, is also not fair. Like, Penn State has not abandoned traditions immediately. Like, it's not like they've stripped things down and they have alternate Oregon uniforms. They still don't have names on the jerseys. Like, all of these things, are they eroded over time Maybe I don't know, but they're also the things that make Penn State the the brand that is recognized for what it is. Um, Black shoes? Does it have to be? So that's another thing: is like we are so ingrained in what has been that the color of the shoe is very important. It's so, just
1: so funny to me. Like yeah. I, I, I just I and look I, like I, as you can tell, I don't care either way. Right? right? It doesn't does not matter to me. I I think it would be awkward. If Penn state's helmet ever changed, I, I don't yeah. ever want to see Penn state's helmet. Yeah. Have That's a the big...
0: Steelers changing their helmet. That's yeah. just if, not going to
1: fly. If, if, if a chipmunk logo ever showed up there, I would be, uh, aghast Right. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of color scheme, patches, logo, like that kind of stuff, like it, it just, it always is so funny to me. Uh, I mean the, like people don't even notice the neck has a different collar. That yeah. did, like, five years ago. Yes. Um, and you know, it, that it... has
0: changed dramatically over time, right? Like, yeah. It's... There's been a lot of changes there from jersey maker to jersey maker, too. So, like, the fabric, the style, all those things. That's why the Generations of Greatness uniforms are cool, because they combined the coolest parts of all those things, and it has a rich tapestry of history of
1: subtle changes. His... So... I mean, I... I think that the questioner's point, though, is the white cleats do look better during that Generations of Greatness game than yep. the black cleats. And yep. sure, I'm on board with that. Yeah. I got no um, problem with that.
0: And I, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay. This is the, always the other problem is, like, I don't want to downplay something that's important to somebody else, especially one of our members. But, like, forced for the Trees sort of situation of, like, if they're winning in white cleats and they win a national championship in white cleats, is it? Is it so much sacrilege to Penn State's history that uh, that it's it invalidates success? I don't want to end on this question. We have one more. It's not in the it's not in the hopper. So this is a quick one. Can Penn State be Georgia, where they were not as relevant and now they're national champion? Georgia, I'll say five to six years ago versus what they are now. That's from Corey Bloom on Twitter. Does Penn State have the trajectory to be
1: eventually Georgia, rising
0: I mean, from the mid to the elite?
1: They were. They played Georgia in the game before Kirby smart took over, right? That was the tax layer bowl. Uh, can Penn state be that? I don't know about that, but what I do know is it will take the commitment. Like to me, the only question is the expanse of the resources, because what I see the early steps. And like the beginning stages of this are that Pat Kraft is all in, Neely Bendapooty is all in, Matt Skyler is all in, Matt Skyler, Board of Trustees president, is all in. James, James Franklin is all in. And so if those four are aligned and are doing this the, the things, trying to push the program to a level, a new level of success, right? More than 10 wins, big 10 championships. Competing, doing all of the things that everyone in that select club of six to eight teams, programs in college football are doing. Um, yeah. Like I, th- I think, I think they want, they all want to do that. It is very much a matter of does the rest of the Penn State community also want that? And are they willing to do the things that it takes to resource the program to that level? That'll do today.
0: That'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, Senior Editor Nate Bauer, bringing you all the insight and a bunch of great stuff. Lord, my studio's falling apart too, so we're going to end the show right now. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you tomorrow. Ryan Snyder wrapping up the week, previewing the weekend in recruiting.